Girl, it's been a minute. You may not know this, gentle listener, but it's been a hot second. I mean, it feels like it's been like three or four weeks. I mean, that's because I think it has. Yeah. I mean, I went to Korea. Yeah, you did. I got a uh, package in the mail from Mac with some Korean skincare products, so I am living it up over here. I got some snail stuff. Still, still, still haven't been brave enough to try it yet. Yeah, I was like, "Yo, Abigail, you want to try this snail stuff?" And she was like, "Hard pass on that." Uh, but I sent, I sent a little sample, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> You go, you want this? I go, hard pass. You go, cool, it's sent. <laughs> well, like, come on. You know, I wanted to make sure it went to a home where it would be appreciated. And I also, like, braved a really crowded mall to get you a Korean Hamlet. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to not be able to read it, but it's really pretty. My husband was like, she can't read it. And I was like, she's aware of the story. (laughs) I I think I know what happens in Shakespeare's play Hamlet. I don't know. Have you heard of it? So anyways, yeah, I'm back. I'm so done talking about it. (laughs) Yeah, whenever you get back from like a cool, exciting trip, people are like, how was it? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, it was fun, but like... But I feel like for you gentle listeners, like the the big talking points are it is a beautiful, clean country where they care about their elderly and disabled. And the subway system is like the same as New York City. And everything was in like English. And it was crazy. Everything was so cheap. And you could like go across Seoul for like the equivalent of three dollars. And I spent like $300 on skincare, uh, and I'm living my best life. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, I've just been doing grad school. One day you'll be a famous actor, director, writer, and one day my book will be published, and uh, then they'll see. <laughs> And then they'll be sorry. <laughs> so this is um, Unsub's A Criminal Minds podcast. <laughs> um, and I it's been such a, a hot minute since we've done one of these that I don't remember how to do a segue, but we have a lot of, like, listener thoughts and, like, shit to share. Maybe we'll just bust a bunch of these out because they have been piling up in the old inbox. Hiya, baby. Hey, baby girl. We need to talk. PG or NC-17? You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups. This is from Jane. Jane commented on our website. I love it when people comment on our website. We have a website. It's pretty cool. This was a comment on Season 5, Episode 5, Cradle to Grave. So that's the episode where the woman has cancer, so she's trying to have lots of babies. So they're kidnapping blonde women so that they will look like the woman with cancer. Except, and y'all were disagreeing with me. 
And y'all were saying I was the crazy one. They kidnapped this girl. She's got brown hair. And I specifically noted it in my recap. And I remember Abigail being all, oh, you know, it's dirty blonde. No, bestie, it's brown. And you know what? Jane agrees with me. (laughs) Jane commented, quote, he'll probably have brown hair because she also has brown hair, which was a quote from the recap. Howling at this, all I could think about was she was on screen and that she had brown hair. Thank you, Jane. Love you, Jane. You're appreciated. I love hearing the like little synopsis of the episode out of context because it makes some of these sound absolutely bananas. I don't know when the fuck we'll have time to do this, but I'm like, what if we like wrote up little synopsis of episodes and then like quizzed each other to see if we could figure out what they were? Oh, our next trivia episode, we should do that. Yes, that would be so fun. Okay, I'll read this Instagram comment that we got. And it said, I know Criminal Minds is bad with geography. (laughs) They're actually not. We take it back. We take it back. We're sorry. We're the ones who are bad at it. Okay, so I know Criminal Minds is bad with geography. Bestie, they're not. But I paid closer attention to the in this episode because I live in Chattanooga and used to live in Nashville. When they interview Tawny, Tara says she will go to Nashville field office. Nashville doesn't have a field office. Memphis and Knoxville have field offices. This to me is so funny because like in my dumb little pea brain, I'm like, we're not supposed to know where the FBI field offices are. That's top secret. How does this person have this information? <laughs> I know. Okay, so I'm going to share another comment from our website. This is from the episode, The 13th Step, from season six, which we actually just covered. It's the last episode we covered of season six. And this is from Jess. And Jess's comment is, I went to high school with Adrian. I actually don't know how to say her name. Adrian Palicki? The actress who played Sydney in the uh, episode. So Jess went to school with her. And Jess writes, The first time I saw this episode, it was so jarring watching her play a murderous, remorseless psychopath because I remember her being one of the sweetest, kindest people I've ever met. Also, the makeup team did a lot of work to make her look like a plain Jane. She's so pretty. All right. And this is yet another submission from our website. Why do the recaps stop at season six and then again at season 16 and none in between? Besties, we were still in the middle of our coverage from season six, but we wanted to take a break and jump on to the new season with the episodes that were actively being released. Once we finished covering season 16, which is just this episode and then the next one, We're going to go back to season six and catch up to season 16. 
Yeah, the number of comments on our website where people who I don't think listen to the podcast but maybe found our, our recaps on the internet, which is super cool, being like, where are the rest of the episodes is insane. So I actually had to put a disclaimer on the website saying, hey, we're working on it, but you can sign up on our website and put in your email and we will send you piping hot recaps as soon as they're posted. But we're still working out the kinks to that. So it's it's working, though. You'll get an email when the new recap is uploaded. So if you're someone who follows the recaps like that, which is super cool, because I spend a lot of time editing and putting them up on the website and spell checking them, definitely make sure you do that. So this is a listener submission. Um, someone wrote, y'all need a segment with the most jaw-dropping, oddest, weirdest opinions relating to the show. Like maybe one part where you just read out the weirdest ships or opinions and laugh about them. I think having CM confessions on during this would be so funny because I'm sure she's seen some odd opinions. Or maybe you can ask your followers to send in their most unpopular opinions and talk about how you either agree or disagree. I love that idea. What if I what if I drop into our Instagram right now and say send us your most controversial criminal minds opinions and then by the time we're done recapping I'm sure we'll have some submissions and we can read that at the end. Go do it. I love it. Hi, baby. Hey baby girl, we need to talk. PG or NC17. You're on speakerphone. I charge extra for groups. Should we share our rating criteria? Our rating criteria. Wow, it's been a long time since I've had to do this. Each episode can score up to 100 points. We have five categories. Each one can get up to 20 points. Criminal slash serial killer. Character development slash character arcs. Forensics and context. Script writing. And background characters. And we are in no way, shape, or form associated with the television show Criminal Minds. We are just big fans. And should we get into this recap? Oh my god, let's get into this recap. We open in a flashback. Girl, this is ten pages. Yeah. Oh my god. (laughs) We're gonna be here all night. We open in January 2022. We see black and white, and we know that this is a flashback, because whenever Criminal Minds Evolution is in black and white, it's a flashback, baby. Black and white meaning ye olden times. (laughs) We're looking at David Rossi in his office at BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Ever heard of it? He is obviously very distressed. Prentice knocks on the door and asks to come in. And we learned that both she and Rossi have just left a funeral, namely the funeral of one Cristal Richards, a.k.a. Mrs. David Rossi. So she's dead. She's Gonsville, daddy-o. May I come in? You left the funeral early. I couldn't watch them put the coffin in the ground. I couldn't watch them close her up like that. 
think she'll forgive me? Of course. And Prentice is really good and comforting to him in this moment. We cut to present time and we're in Seattle, Washington. Ever heard of it? Ever heard of it. We're in the home of Mr. and Mrs. Voigt. Remember last episode, Rossi set out on a cross-country trip. Not really. He just went to the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) I don't know why that got me. (laughs) Rossi got a list of people who placed a phone call during the time when Daddy Voigt was in that hardware store in Chattanooga, Tennessee with Tawny. Tawny! Remember, she's not horny, she's religious. She's not horny, she just feels God. People are going to give us a bad review on Spotify, girl. She feels the Holy Spirit. It's a fictional character. I feel like you can't be that pissed at us if it's a fictional character. Anyways, so it was kind of like an Anand Syed situation going on. (laughs) We all remember how well that turned out. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so anyways, whatever bullshit, Rossi has shown up at at the Voight residence. He just got lucky. He doesn't even look like he's broken a sweat. My man was definitely driving a car. He hasn't broken a sweat. In my head, I was like, no, that man's on, like, an electric scooter or something. It'd be, like, an electric scooter. Like, you're not even, like, doing any physical exertion. You're just, like, zoom, zoom, like, like, across the neighborhood. I just feel like that would be too much technology for David Rossi. And I feel like most people would agree with me. Daddy Void's not home when David Rossi knocks at the door. But Bridget, a.k.a. Sydney, is home. Rossi goes in the house and he shows Bridgney this photo, this screenshot of the security footage from the hardware store. You can't really tell who it is, but Rossi's like, oh, a wife would know. And Sydney looks at the picture and I guess a wife does know because she instantly recognizes him. She asks Rossi where the photo was taken, and he tells her Chattanooga, and then her phone starts ringing. I'm sorry, uh, what is this about? Oh, we're just following up on a lead to see if anyone can recognize this man. I I mean, I I know the angle is off. All you can really make out is his jawline. But but a wife would know. Uh, By any chance, is that your husband? Mm. Uh, where was that taken? Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, excuse me. Hey, hey. Uh, I just got an alert on the app. Who's at our house? An FBI agent who just showed me footage of you in Chattanooga. What were you doing in Chattanooga? Sydney, did you check his ID? Yes. His name is Agent... David Rossi. And then we get like a quick flashback to Teenage Voight reading David Rossi's book, Deviance. Remember how instead of hiring a teenager to play young Lee, they just made him wear a long shirt and gelled his hair? Yeah, that was challenging. 
So we flash back to current times. I guess we were, they were just wanting us to remember, extra remember. In present times, Voight asks Sydney if the girls are home and they're not. He then tells Sydney to get Rossi out of the house and warns her that he is a very dangerous man. Voight tells Sydney that he's discovered a conspiracy at work and now there are people out to get him. And at first, Sydney is like, what are you talking about, you loser? And then Daddy promises to explain everything to her when he gets home. And so she agrees and she says, okay. And she gets Rossi out of the house and she says, I'm not going to answer any more questions without a lawyer. Rossi, still in Seattle, calls the BAU in Quantico and tells them that he now has a name of a suspect, Elias Voigt. The BAU also learns that Daddy Voigt was a security analyst who worked in high-end cryptology, which I didn't know what that was. So it's the practice and study of techniques for secure communication. Cryptography is about constructing and analyzing protocols that prevent third parties or the public from reading private messages. Cryptography is synonymous with cryptology. So daddy's background matches and the BAU track his life and they compare it with the pauses in Sicarius's killing. As Tara says, quote, it's hard to be a new dad and a psychopath at the same time. So Elias and Sydney Void have been married for 15 years, right before his first documented kill in the first shipping container. So he got married and then started his little project. Every time he told his wife he needed alone time or traveled for work, he was hunting. Yeah, they have two kids. Uh, Holly, age 14, and Harlow, age 10. Their birthdays track with the pauses in his killing. Well, serial killers sometimes take a break to have kids. I mean, Dennis Rader and Green River did. It's hard to be a new dad and a psychopath at the same time. We need a timeline. Putting him in the areas of abduction. When we make an arrest, it's got to be bulletproof. Okay, first we have to go back to the Attorney General and justify this. Prentice reminds the team that the case is closed, so the BAU has to go back to the Attorney General and ask her to reopen the case. As Rossi gets off the phone, in Seattle, he's alerted by another agent that someone has come into the office to see him. And it's none other than Elias Voigt. That was a twist I did not expect. Yeah, I figured we would have, like, a face-off situation with the two of them. Like, obviously, there was going to be a showdown, but that's one thing about this new season is it's kind of predictable. We'll we'll get there. Okay, so we get another flashback, and, and guess what, what it is in? Guess what it's shot in? Is it in black and white? It's in black and white. Even then, like, the new little women knew that they could just turn down the saturation. They didn't have to go quite that extreme. May 2022, ever heard of it? We're following Tara. She's at an Al-Anon meeting, which is substance abuse that's not specifically alcohol, so, like, drugs, pills, etc. The meeting seems to be for people specifically involved in the government, like other FBI agents. And we also see Rebecca Wilson there. Remember her? Tara's ex-girlfriend, I guess, from the DOJ. So we learned it's Tara's first meeting. 
And Rebecca shares during the meeting and afterwards Tara approaches her because she kind of relates to Rebecca's story about her partner being an enabler. Hi, um, I'm Tara uh, L. Tara L. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, your first time at this meeting? Uh, it's, it's my first time at Al-Anon, um, like ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. What brings you in? I also had an alcoholic father, but my qualifier, that's, is that the right word? Yep. I just call him by his name, uh, my ex, Daryl. So, um, how, how about you? What was your qualifier? Uh, Elaine. Oh. Oh, oh. And then Rebecca's like, yeah, well, actually, I'm a lesbian. And then Tara's like, oh. It doesn't matter. They break up. It's over. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It, the lesbians are done. You can have a little lesbian just as a treat. They're like, we, 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 we ticked the representation off the list, but it doesn't mean it has to be good or satisfactory. Back in present day times, we learned that daddy is five foot eight. Short king. <laughs> I know you love a short king. I I love a short king. I love a short king. The shorter, the better. <laughs> I love that we unnecessarily have that information. Like, I paused it and I was like, wait a minute. Is that a five I see? <laughs> so, Prentice and Tara present short king Daddy Void as a viable suspect to, for the attorney general. And I wrote, I love Tara, but shouldn't Doug be here? Where is Doug? He wasn't in the last two episodes. Where is Doug? Where is your Blorbo? Rebecca is also in the meeting, um, and she steps in and tells the attorney general that they have to tread carefully with this whole Sicarius case. And she actually recommends that um, the attorney general allow the BAU to pursue Elias Voigt. The attorney general hesitantly agrees, but then gives them 48 hours, which, if you remember, is the same amount of time that Silvio Herrera had to live. Everyone leaves except for Tara and Rebecca. And Tara tells Rebecca that she misses her and she apologizes. And Rebecca accepts the apology, but tells Tara that she's been offered a job in Sacramento. Obviously, the relationship is not going to continue, and Tara is devastated. Back in the Seattle field office, David Rossi sits down with Daddy Voigt. It's not in an interrogation room. It's just in, like, the middle of the office, and this scene is so good. Rossi shows Voigt the security camera footage from the hardware store, and Daddy confirms that it is, in fact, him in the footage. Rossi pushes him to further explain the details of his trip. And Daddy's like, okay, but first, I'm, I'm your number one fan. It was a syndrome moment from The Incredibles, if you... Any. I've not seen The Incredibles. Oh, I forgot. That's right. You just like that sexy fish. <laughs> <Find Daddy. laughs> oh, that was so... So rude. How dare you bring up Gil at a time like this? 
I didn't say I think he's sexy. I was just acknowledging the fact that there's some people on the internet who do. Sorry, it's... You're famous. I've read every single one of your books. Every one? Every one. Get a lot out of them? Uh, I like that one, um, obsession about the guy who disarticulated bodies so that he could dissolve them in acid. No kidding. Our suspect had a shipping container up in Yakima. Well, that's my backyard. I know. And he would take them there to try out different methods of murder. Ugh, creepy. I know. And one of the methods was disarticulation followed by acid. I read true crime. I don't live it. He also is being so, like, friendly and cordial. Like, he has he has the persona on in this scene, which I think is fun to watch. Even if his character doesn't always make sense, he's a phenomenal actor. And I wrote, literally I wrote, honestly, I can't even summarize. You're just going to have to listen and hear it yourself. Daddy Voight denies being Sicarius, denies knowing who Cyrus is, denies knowing the details of the crime, etc. Rossi at this point 100% knows that he's like found Sicarius. Daddy Voight asks Rossi if Rossi's first wife really did leave him because he was obsessed with solving certain cases. When you were writing about pursuing Mr. Acid Guy, you said that your first wife left you. You weren't sleeping and you almost lost your badge. Did that really happened. Yeah, that really happened. Why? I have friends with government jobs. They punch in, they go home, they don't get obsessed. Not really. Not the way the killers you write about in your books do. I guess what I'm asking, Dave, is, did you really go the distance? I always go the distance, Elias. Voight then hands over his laptop, notebooks, and cell phone to Rossi and just, like, pieces out of there. What a power move. Back at Quantico, Garcia has been poring over Voight's records and she can't find anything fishy. Don't want to get Abigail excited with that. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Uh, his timeline, Elias's timeline, does not line up with the Sicarius timeline from what they can see, meaning that Either he's not the guy or he's really good at covering his tracks. The BAU has tunnel vision at this point, so they're like, no, no, he's definitely the guy. He must be covering his tracks. They have him in Chattanooga with Tawny, and they have him in D.C. where Tyler Green was arrested. But those are both major cities, so that doesn't really prove anything, especially because his job entailed him traveling around doing security stuff. So the BAU really needs a positive identification. Prentice asked Tara if Ramona Havener from last episode would cooperate, and Tara says that she's left a lot of messages, but she hasn't heard back from Ramona. Remember, Ramona's family was threatened by Sicarius. Garcia has a brainwave. Tyler Green saw Sicarius back when, remember, remember when Sicarius dated Tyler Green's sister? Remember that strange random connection that totally doesn't feel contrived? 
Yeah, it's weird because like this is after like she she'd like recently had a child. Yeah. I don't I I don't know. I don't know. I guess he just really had to find someone on Second Street and she who was a parent. So there's got to be limited options when your killing zone is your hunting zone is Second Street. Garcia calls Tyler to the BAU um and he shows up but guess who else shows up? Who? Will. <laughs> I guess he's there as a liaison for the DC cold case unit and I'm like what? That makes sense. Why? Like this makes no sense. Tyler is going to ID Sicarius. We see Tyler standing in the conference room, staring at the photo array that the BAU has prepared. Everyone else is there. Will is there for no reason. Tyler stares right at Daddy Voight's picture and then tells the BAU that the person who dated his sister is not on the board. He's not here. You sure? Have a closer look. I'm sure. Sorry. Tyler, we spent, what, a couple hours on your cognitive? All that time, you never said sorry. Not once. A guy like you says sorry, you mean, leave me alone. Sorry. Uh, could you fellas give us a second? Luke is blunt, but he's not off target. Penelope, I don't know what to say. Okay, I'll help you. Look me in the eye and tell me it's not one of those people. It's not. Is there anything else I can do to help? She then tells Tyler to look her in the eyes and tell her that he doesn't recognize anyone in the photo array. And Tyler does. And then he leaves, and you can see that Garcia's, like, bothered by the encounter, but she doesn't quite know what to make of it because of all the steamy nerd sex. Back in Seattle, Daddy shows up at Voight Residence. He tells Sidney to pack a bag and go. She refuses to go until he explains what's going on. This is like probably the worst explanation for anything I've ever in my life experienced. Like, do you know that meme of that woman where there's all those like mathematical equations? Yeah, that's Sydney in this moment where he's like trying to explain this conspiracy to her. She's like, what? So he pulls out his phone and shows her a picture of not Hal. Back in episode three, this was the man who looks like his neighbor that Daddy Voight kidnapped and then fed to Moose. It's really funny because Sydney goes, is that our neighbor, Hal? And Daddy's like, no, it's the new programmer. It's a man named Brandon Jones. Voight then spins this convoluted tale about how the company that both he and Brandon used to work for was transferring funds into cryptocurrency for some drug lords. 
Yes, that's what he literally tells her. Okay, Breaking Bad. Okay, Walter White. (laughs) Brandon Jones. And he found out that the company was transferring a certain slush fund to cryptocurrency for some bad people. And that's when I tapped out. Cindy, I haven't just been looking for a new job this whole time. I've been looking for a safe place for us to escape to. Stop. Stop. This is ridiculous. It doesn't even make any sense. So, so, a slush fund? Uh, drug, drug money, as far as I can tell. And cryptocurrency, what does that have That's how they launder the money. Okay, well, you quit. So, why would anyone be after us? Because I have the codes. In my head. Then then go to the FBI. This guy, Agent Rossi, I Googled him. He's a real agent. That's what Brandon did and no one ever saw him again. Too long didn't read it's a money laundering operation. But with crypto. Because it's 2022, bitches. Crypto. We're we're giving crypto a platform. Next he's going to be like, I have to go to jail because I sold an NFT. Feminist icon Brandon was like, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to go to the FBI and report this cryptocurrency money laundering operation for uh, drug lords. (laughs) Um, So he went to the FBI and was, quote, never heard from again. So Sydney is like still kind of like trying to put the pieces together. And she's like, I don't I don't understand like why. They're after you if you left. Like, this makes no sense. And daddy's like, I have the codes in my head. And I'm like, what codes? This is like, what in the Wattpad? What in the Wattpad? (laughs) Daddy warns his wife that Rossi is not a real FBI agent. He's an imposter. And he harassed Brandon's wife with crazy stories about who her husband really was. And then Voight throws caution to the wind and tells Sydney, quote, maybe this David Rossi guy is legit, but if he finds us somehow and asks us to get in his car, we're in trouble. Cut back to the BAU. Prentice asks Rossi for a status update, advising him that the BAU has nothing useful at all. And Rossi agrees to push Sydney to get her to talk. Prentice says, quote, Don't be gentle. We only have 48 hours. Rossi hangs up and he gets this audio message from Garcia. When he plays it, it appears to be like a sexy message Garcia intended to send to Tyler, not Rossi. And the message says, quote, I was just, I was just thinking about you. Don't, don't call me back. Okay. Bye. Hey, it's me. Um, Mm-hmm. I was just, I was just thinking about you. Don't, don't call me back. Okay, bye. And at first we're like, oh my God, Garcia, this is so embarrassing. We've all done it before. We've all sent a sexy message to a coworker that was not intended for them. We cut away and we see that Tyler Green actually engineered the whole thing. The voice memo was sent from his phone disguised as Garcia's phone, sort of a spear phishing technique, so that he could gain access to Rossi's phone and access the GPS, basically like hacking into Rossi's phone. Tyler Green did recognize Elias Voigt as Sicarius. We get another flashback in black and white. And this one is Tyler, his sister Allison, and Tyler's nephew, whose name I I didn't write down. You know what I realized? What? 
The reason we can't have Daddy Doug. Oh wow, that was wrong. Deputy Doug. Uh, in, and Tyler, we'd have too much of both of them in one episode, and that would just be too decadent for you. That is so true. Get him in that orange jumpsuit, and I'm 100% in. Cut to a supermarket, and Sydney Voigt is shopping. She's buying ice, water, wine, cereal, toilet paper. She's going as fast as she can. There's this great song playing that's like, and I'm like, damn, okay, this is a bop. She's interrupted by Rossi, a scene that I think makes him look really, really bad, and I don't like this at all. Yeah, it made me really uncomfortable. Rossi says he knows that Daddy Voigt told her stories about Rossi and how Rossi was such a bad guy and all this stuff. And Rossi goes, and I'm not going to do the Rossi voice because this is how serious and bad I think this whole thing is. I'm going to just do it so you can like experience the text and then I'm going to have you listen to the audio of it as well. So Rossi says, quote, well, I have a different story about a young girl named Sydney. She had a tough childhood, abusive dad, victimized mom. So Sydney swore that when she thought about getting married, that she would never make the same mistakes her mom did. And Sydney goes, how did you know that? And Rossi says, Psychopaths have a type when it comes to wives. What do you want from us? You talked to your husband, didn't you? Yeah. He told you a story about who he is, maybe about who I am. Well, I have a different story. It's about a young girl named Sydney. She had a tough childhood, abusive dad, victimized mom. So Sydney swore when she thought about getting married that she would never make the same mistakes her mom did. How do you know that? Psychopaths have a type when it comes to wives. Now, he would never hurt you physically, no. He manipulated you in a different way. What's the first thing you look for when you meet a man? I mean, even subconsciously. Come on. You know. A, a wedding ring. Exactly. A woman relaxes when she sees one. So do other men. A married man is neutered. He's not a threat. Psychopaths have a type when it comes to wives? A type? I'm going to add that to our timeout. I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. Rossi then explains to Sydney that she's the reason Voight is so deadly because, quote, a married man is neutered. He's not a threat. A married man is neutered. He's not a threat. You could put that in there, too, for saying that a married man is neutered and he's not a threat. I don't like this attitude. I don't like the way he's talking to Sydney. I wrote, if Ray Donovan was here, he'd shoot Rossi for saying that. Rossi tells Sydney that he'll drive her to the FBI offices. 
Sydney's like, oh my God, this is just what my husband talked about when he said that if Rossi tells me to get in the car, I'm in trouble. So she runs out of the storm and Rossi runs after her and Voight pulls out his phone and starts filming Rossi in the parking lot. This is iconic. Is this what the FBI does? They harass innocent men and their wives in supermarket parking lots? He was like, let me fucking dox Rossi. Uh, unsubs be streaming. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a great scene. Listen to me. Cindy, please, you and your Elias! kids are- You were right. He found us. Hey, are you stalking us? No, I was trying to have a conversation with your wife. He followed me into the store. Was this what the FBI does now? You harass innocent men and their wives in supermarkets? Well, I want the world to know that Special Agent David Rossi will not leave my family alone. Cut to this footage being posted to a web page. And we're back at BAU headquarters in Quantico. And the Attorney General shows the footage to Prentice and tells her to, quote, bench Rossi. Prentice justifies Rossi's actions by stating that she told Rossi to push because the Attorney General only gave the BAU 48 hours. And the Attorney General is like, what the fuck, Prentice? I want Rossi's badge. They're like, he got doxxed. We can't. We can't hire him anymore. Rossi got canceled. I mean, that she. I, I wish I'd gotten the quote because she says something like, you know, we. This is actual proof of FBI overreach. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, actually, it is. So Prentice stands up for Rossi, but she does have to back down because the AG's like, I'm. I'm gonna fire you too. Back with Daddy and Mommy in the car, Voight tells Sydney that he found a safe space for their family to hunker down in, but he needs like a day to get it ready. He then tells Sydney to take the girls to a motel and wait for him. He tells her that he that she has to keep the girls off their phones because the FBI can track their phones and find them. At BAU headquarters, Garcia leaves a message for Tyler asking him to please call her back. And Luke overhears this and he's like, what's going on? Since when are you calling Tyler Green? Garcia's like, something's got to be wrong with Tyler because he always returns my calls. She tells Luke that normally she'll call Tyler like four times and he always calls her back. And Luke is like, why are you calling a witness in the biggest case the BAU has ever had multiple times and on the regular? Also, guys, like, don't call people four times. Like, that's rude. Yeah, no, don't do that. I don't even like it when people call me. Like, seeing a call coming through that I'm not expecting gives me so much anxiety. I kept getting a bunch of calls the other day from numbers I didn't know, and it was stressing me out. And then I remembered it was because I was trying to find a new dentist office, and I sent inquiries to a couple different ones. (laughs) So Garcia and Luke go into an empty office and Garcia admits that she and Tyler have smooched. And Luke is like, come on, him. Come on, him. Yes. Him. He's part of our case. This Prentice, no? Sort of. She told me to call it off, which I was going to. 
then, oh my God, he is marvelous in bed. And that's saying something, because I'm pretty spectacular. Now, I hit this note I've never made. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like too, a much. High C. too much. I, I know, I know, I know it is, but I need to share with somebody. I have to, I have to. Elvis, I can't talk to JJ because she's going to be the voice of common sense, so she's going to agree with Prentice. I can't talk to Tara because Tara had her heart broken, and I need a friend, and you're the only one. Sounds like I'm the last one. Look, whatever. I, I just got to say one thing, all right? You sure know how to pick them. This is going to be messy. That's implying it wasn't already messy. No, stop. Wish you would. No, stop. So back in Seattle, Rossi parks in front of Void's house, and he gets a text from Prentice asking him to call her. Remember, he's about to be pulled off this case. And in a way, Rossi must sense this because he just like straight up ignores her text and settles into, I guess, like stake out Void's home. Like, what is his plan? This was a choice Rossi here made. He was Rossying so hard. He really was. He Rossied too close to the sun. Obviously, Rossi knows that Voight's going to see Rossi's car and is going to come out and there's going to be a confrontation because Rossi is not like hiding. Yeah, now he's like actually like he has grounds to be doxing him. Void immediately spots the car and he invites Rossi in for some wine. Rossi declines, but Void says, quote, I got a hot blonde in there with three minutes left before she suffocates. You want to come in? Open a nice bottle of wine. We both know that's about the dumbest thing I could do. Yeah, probably for the best. I got a hot blonde in there with about three minutes left before she suffocates. Anyway, if you change your mind, park around back. You'll get a ticket here on the street. Rossi then hurries into Void's house, gun drawn, looking for that hot blonde with three minutes left to live. Instead, he finds Daddy Void sipping wine. Void offers him a 2000 Petrus. And I figured Erica wouldn't have mentioned this specific wine if there wasn't supposed to, like, if it wasn't supposed to mean something intrinsically. So I looked it up. And it goes for like $6,000. Like I saw anywhere from like high 4,000s to like $7,000 for this wine, for a bottle. Holy shit. And then we get one of the most iconic lines of the entire season. If not the most iconic line of the entire season. Oh, I forgot about this. Daddy Voight says to Rossi, quote, I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. Actually, they're podcast hosts. I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I, actually, they're podcast hosts. Anyway, they have gone through every single one of your cases, and they have a pretty compelling argument that the behavioral analysis unit is secretly terrible at profiling. Like right now, for instance. Why did you come in here, Dave? There's so many elements here. One, the fact that he calls them his friends, implying that he feels that podcast hosts are his friends, which is how I feel. Parasocial relationship. Or he's actually friends with them and they're podcast hosts. Could go either way. Could It could go either way. Quote, 
Anyway, they have gone through every single one of your cases, and they have a pretty compelling argument that the behavioral analysis unit is secretly terrible at profiling. So I looked up Dan and Sheila, and they're fictional. Imagine if you said Mac and Abigail. I would have to kill myself. Throw myself off the nearest bridge. Rossi then offers Voight a gentleman's agreement because he can't offer Voight anything official because Rossi is, like, on the lamb right now. On the lamb! And Voight's like, no, I don't want your fucking agreement. And they go back and forth, and Rossi baits Voight by telling him that he's experiencing devolution and will eventually kill his family. Voight then tells Rossi that actually Rossi's the one devolving. Then Rossi tries to arrest Voight, and Voight is like, you can't arrest me. You're going to shoot an unarmed man in his house? Well, maybe I am devolving. My career's over. What the hell have I got to lose? That is an interesting question. But it's not the most interesting question. The most interesting question is why would I need drugs in the wine and a gun in the kitchen when you're a 70 year old man? And I'm not. And Voight makes a joke about Rossi being old and attacks Rossi and like knocks him out. And I'm like, this is very unhinged right now. But it's also, it's like Rossi, did you even think about that? Like, did he, like, you're, he's not a, like, you know, he's not a spring chicken. I don't know if David Rossi has ever been one of the world's great thinkers. <laughs> Canonically. <laughs> you know, he's not a read. Uh, he's more of a man of action. Words do not become us. We get another callback, a.k.a. a flashback. It's August 2012. We see Daddy and Mommy Voight, and Mommy is very preggers. Voight shows his wife the house that will one day become Voight HQ. And Voight tells his wife, quote, The way I grew up, I never wanted to put down roots, but now it's all I want, a place that's ours that no one can take from us. And Sydney goes, Holy shit, are you nesting? She then tells him that she loves the house and says, let's do it. And we go back to present day. Boyd has handcuffed Rossi and they're going to go for a little drive. They're taking Rossi's car. As they pull away from Voight HQ, the camera pulls back and we see Tyler Green watching. Tyler then follows the car as it drives away, noting that Rossi's phone has turned off and the connection is lost. Okay, how did Tyler get there? Did he just fly? Yeah. Is he allowed to do that? Yeah, he's not under arrest. True, I guess. I mean, yeah, there's a scene where he like literally books a plane ticket. That's like a, a quick scene. That's a good point. I mean, you'd think he'd be on, like, a no-fly list. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I don't know. You're a TSA agent and you're listening. Let us know. Back at Quantico VA in the roundtable room, Prentice asks if anyone has heard from Rossi and no one has. She then asks Garcia to track Rossi's phone. Garcia reports that the phone has been turned off, but his last coordinates show him at 2016 Simon Avenue, North Redmond, Washington. 
This is Daddy Voigt's house. I thought I would just share that address. I looked it up. It's not a real place. Alves, JJ, fly to Seattle. Do not engage with Elias Voigt. Just bring Rossi home. Hold on. Something's wrong. Rossi's cloud data has a weird link in it. It looks like somebody tricked him into opening something he should not have opened. Was it Voigt? Uh, no. It looks like a, a voicemail. Let's see. This jerk faces. Is that your voice? Um, yes, but it, the, oh my god! But that was that was Tyler Green, because you disregarded my direct order. This is what is going to happen, Penelope. You are going to join Alves and JJ in the field, not just to find Rossi, but to pin down Tyler too. Okay, like I understand why she's upset, but also it's like he was. It's wrong that he lied, but, like, it's not wrong of him to be prioritizing his own thing. Like, they're not, like, in a relationship. I mean, like, you're not wrong, but, like, he's a witness to the case. Yeah, I know. It's wrong that he lied about that, but, like, she shouldn't be taking it personally. The legality is wrong. I'm, I'm with you on the legality. Because he's hacked into an FBI agent's phone. Yeah. And what if Void isn't the guy? Like, we know Void's the guy. But, like, so in the car with the boys, a.k.a. Daddy and Rossi, Rossi tells Daddy he has to use the bathroom. And Daddy Void is like, hell no. And then Voight continues making like old man jokes, quote, when Sydney told me you were in the house, I was expecting David Rossi, the legend, not David Rossi, the AARP member. (laughs) And Rossi's like, okay, I'm just going to pee in the car. Does urine have DNA? Oh, wait, I'm so old. I can't remember. (laughs) So Voight's like, whatever. And he pulls off the road and lets Rossi out. And we get some ASMR of Rossi peeing really loudly. I hated that. I hated that. It's a strong stream. He really did have to go. I hate when TV shows feel the need to like give us the uh, like auditory experience of urination. Like, that's not something that I need. Auditory experience of urination in my Criminal Minds Evolution episode? It's more likely <laughs> than even <laughs> you think. <laughs> Sometimes I say things and I'm like, why did I say it that way? <laughs> um, so another car pulls up and um, two men get out and they're like, is everything okay? And Voight tells Rossi to like send the men on their way. It's really tense, and these are, like, the two most helpful people in the world. They offer to help change the tire, and then they're like, we can call AAA for you if you want. Those guys were ready to help. They were like, we'll be a good Samaritan. Like, are people really this helpful? Like, I would just drive. Like, I've seen enough episodes of Criminal Minds to know you do not stop. You keep going. Yeah, I mean, as a woman by myself, I definitely would not be helping. But I don't know, maybe men really are out there sometimes being like, do you need some help? 
I got a Phillips head screwdriver for you. Anyways, the two men get back in their car and Rossi continues peeing. Finish up. On the jet, we have Will, Bill, Garcia, Luke, and JJ. Uh, they conference call Tara and Prentice because we have to have everyone at the same time being in the scenes. And they discuss Tyler being a bad boy hacker. I guess Will's office was able to track Tyler's phone because they had his digits from back when Allison Green was missing like 10 years ago and he didn't change his phone numbers, which I mean, like, I guess that's valid. I mean, go off. I've I've always had the same exact phone number. They track Tyler's phone to Yakima County and the jet's going to go that way. So I guess we're on the ground in Yakima County and Voight brings Rossi to the place where the BAU found the first shipping container. Voight plans to make Rossi's death look like a suicide, but then Tyler shows up and interrupts the plans and Tyler points a gun at Voight and Voight then points a gun at Rossi. And Tyler accuses Voight of killing his sister, Allison. And Voight's like, I've killed so many Allisons. I don't know who the fuck your sister is. <laughs> kind of iconic. Tyler! Found you. Finally. You are? You know who I am. No, I really do not. Tyler's baiting you. Just shoot him. You killed my sister, Allison. Allison. Yeah, you're going to have to be a little more specific. I killed a lot of Allison. Her name was Allison Green. Tell me who killed her. Oh, Al- Allison Green. Yes, okay. But I'm sorry, I cannot tell you I killed her, but I can tell you what I did to her. For those of you Game of Thrones fans out there, it's very Pedro Pascal's Oberyn Martell. You raped her, you murdered her, you killed her children. Wait, that was Pedro Pascal? Girl, yes! It's been so long since I've seen Game of Thrones. He was one of my favorites, but I didn't realize it was him. Anyways, I love you, Pedro. You are my father. If you love Pedro Pascal, you should watch The Last of Us. Voight admits to killing Allison, says some cruel things to Tyler about Allison's death. We don't actually know if these are true or not. Um, but Voight gets the upper hand and shoots Tyler and then Voight drags Rossi off and leaves Tyler for dead. We get a flashback to February, 2020 Garcia and Luke are on a date. The whole thing was that it ended the season before this, I should say with like Luke and Garcia, like Luke asking Garcia out on a date. And I know that a lot of people were like very hyped about it and very invested in that relationship. And I never felt that way. Like it just kind of felt like they were trying to do the Morgan thing all over again with another hunk of a man. And he's a delicious man. But I I never felt the passion or fire. But I don't mean to yuck your yum. So if if you're into Galvez, you know, live your life. But anyways, this this scene is very awkward, and it's written to be awkward. Garcia tells Luke, two drinks is my limit. Eventually, Garcia says, Luke, it felt so good when you asked me out, but I'm finding this to be very clunky. It felt so good when you asked me out, but I'm finding this to be very clunky. 
Okay. What why? were we thinking? I don't know, but why? <laughs> I mean, it's it's not like this when we're at work. And then Garcia goes, quote, now that I know you're not trying to get me drunk, I'm going to do so of my own volition. Good for her. Back in present day times, the BAU pulls up to the site of the first storage container. They find no sign of Rossi or Voight, but do find a badly injured Tyler Green. Tyler's alive. They find his cell phone. He's got a gunshot wound in his shoulder. Garcia puts pressure on it and medics arrive, uh, but Tyler passes out and he's in critical condition. Back at BAU headquarters, Rebecca joins Tara and Prentice in the roundtable room. They have JJ on the phone and they're coordinating everything together. The major concern right now is finding Voight and Rossi. And we cut to Voight and he's bringing Rossi into a whole nother shipping container. Uh, This is the third shipping container. I've lost track of the shipping containers, to be quite honest. I think technically this is the first first shipping container. The OG. The OG. And then there was the second and third shipping containers where the bodies were found. The third one being the one that JJ and Luke were yeeted out of by explosion, but fine also. We're in the shipping container when Rossi, Voight just kind of drags Rossi into the shipping container. And Rossi's like, please don't leave me down here alone. And Voight's like, whatever, old man. Rossi tries to profile Voight, tells Voight that like he doesn't know where the shipping container is located, but he knows that it's like in a meaningful location to Voight. And I'm like, yeah, of course it is. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? You don't have to be a profiler to know that. It's not like he would have picked a random location. Like, he obviously picked it with intention. And then Voight, like, throws a knife on the ground at Rossi's feet because Rossi's, like, still tied up. And he's like, okay, later, loser. And he leaves. Rossi looks a little pathetic. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, like, trying to lean into that old man pathetic thing. And I hate it because, like, I love Rossi, but it's, like, kind of uncomfortable. It is hard to watch. We'll, We'll get there. We have one little paragraph left. At the crime scene, Voight sends Tyler's cell phone a live streaming link, because unsubs be streaming. First, we get an all caps text that reads, further instructions will come, but there are ground rules. There were rules. (laughs) There was one rule. I told you there was one rule. No. What rule? Agent Greenway. Stop. Do you not consider that holding a press conference is going outside the team for help? Listen. One rule. He says there are ground rules, and then there are no ground rules given. But the message continues, let me go, you get him back. If you don't, dot, dot, dot. And then the feed switches on, and we see a video of Rossi screaming frantically for help. 
And I like in my dumb little pea brain head, I was like, this sounds like my neighbor's dog. <laughs> Cause he was like, help, help, help. And I was like, that fucking sounds like my neighbor's dog. Help, 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 help. Oh girl. All right. Um, it's, it's, uh, I, it's listen to the pain in my voice. <laughs> Cause on one hand, it's a banger. It's fun. Um, I think it's got a good pace to it. Out of the 10, this was one of the better ones. This was one of the, I feel like it was one of the strongest. Is it the best episode of television I've ever seen? No. Is it the best episode of anything Criminal Minds related? Absolutely not. Objectively speaking, it's still so different from the original series. However, compared to the other eight episodes, it holds up a lot better. Yeah, I think now seeing, I know we haven't rated all of the episodes. I think seeing the entire season, my favorite episode by far was episode three. I think this probably for me comes in at number two. There's a thing as to having too much flashback. There was way too much flashback. I love character development. I love that like some of them were poignant, but I just... I don't know. Like I'm a little I'm a little stumped about this to be honest. I'm a little like in my feels about how I feel about this content. And something that we were talking about off mic that I thought that you said in like a really good way and I like don't mean to drive it in the ground, but you said it in such a good concise way that I want you to repeat it. All of the unsubs have been white men that kind of look the same. So basically, I was saying it would have made a lot more sense to me rather than just being seamlessly random, like seemingly random white guys. It would have made more sense to me if the show had been trying to comment upon incels, how it would have been a bunch of guys on Reddit or 4chan being radicalized during the pandemic and turning into violent, murderous incels because that is something that happened. That is something that continues to happen. And that also would have made more sense given the fact that a lot of them are straight white men. And it would have made sense as to why they were putting it like post-pandemic and like acknowledging the COVID-19 pandemic. Because that was a time in which a lot of people who were not already like violent serial killers were radicalized. Because right now, it doesn't super make sense why they even have to acknowledge the pandemic. Personally, I prefer it when shows don't really acknowledge it because I don't want to think about it anymore. And I feel like that would have made more sense to like the racial buildup of like who they're having be murderers in this new season. 
Yeah, and it totally makes sense that, like, white people are predominantly the serial killers that we see, especially in, like, modern times. Those are the, like, mass shooters that show up in malls. It's these young men. But the show did not comment on that at all. So without addressing it, it just kind of seems like, there's a very obvious pattern that is not being mentioned that is kind of important when we're talking about the psychology of what has drawn all of these serial killers together on this network. Like that is a very blatant thing right there that the BAU does not comment on once. That's, that's something that like sticks in my head a lot and I would love to hear people's feedback on that. But I mean, like, that's not a comment on this specific episode. It's just the truth about the entire 10 episode, 10 hour show that is Criminal Minds Evolution. So for for this specific episode, when we're talking about criminal slash serial killer, we're back to Voight. I I really liked his interactions with Rossi. I mean, I think we could give him a 20. Okay. I like that he tried to dox Rossi. I thought that was really funny. Character development, character arcs. I love Garcia and Tyler. I I thought they were great together. Is it realistic at all that she would be someone who is as smart and talented and thoughtful and invested in the BAU as Garcia would be shacking up with someone like Tyler? Like, I I don't know. I mean, I just don't think that she would be putting the case at risk by being involved sexually with someone who is like a key witness in the prosecution of Sicarius. I don't believe it as much as I love it, as much as that scene was so fun. And I know this is a fun fantasy world where anything goes. I just don't. And it just becomes harder and harder to believe as it goes along to the point where everyone's telling her, girl, this is a bad idea. Yeah, but like, have be believing things in this new season is this this new evolution definitely is asking us to subvert our like expectations or like suspend our disbelief, uh, quite a lot. Then also, what the fuck is Will doing here? That's a issue for me as well. Rossi, I don't understand the character development behind him at all because he's just like, fuck it, this is it. This case is it. I'm done. And I'm like, Rossi, this is one man. And I get that it's a big case, but you know next season we're just going to get an even bigger guy. I don't even know how to like delineate the points to each category with this one. I mean, I think for character development, we could give it a 10 because there are like, Things I like, things that really piss me off, things that don't make sense at all. Forensics in context? Never heard of her. They found their guy, and he's the guy. 20? <laughs> I would be fine with giving this episode anywhere between, like, an 80 to 100. 
But at the same time, there's like just a lot of running through lines that still don't make sense. But this episode, I feel like was outweigh the good outweighed the bad in a lot of ways. I guess we're giving script writing a 20 because I agree that it is like a good episode and we got some funny quips about AARP and shit. Um, and background characters, I guess we can give that a 20 as well. I like Sydney. Yeah, I like her. I don't like the way Rossi talked to her at all. Um, I thought that was really offensive and rude, and I didn't think that his character would actually do that. Um, but yeah, I think she's really like coming into herself. And then what are we what are we at now with the score? 70, I think, right? Yeah, we're at 70. Forensics and context. Do you want to give it a 15? Yeah, we could do that. All right, that gives us 85. All right, we've been recording for forever, but maybe we could bust out a couple really quick bad takes. I'm not going to say who they're from. This is anonymous. We have one that says, I don't particularly like JJ. One that says... My favorite character across all seasons is definitely Aaron Strauss. (laughs) I have so many follow-up questions for you. And then we have another one, last one. Will gave up too much of his life to be with JJ. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Wow. So that's going to be our new segment. Yes. So we will keep you anonymous. Submit your hot takes to us and we will share them. Yeah. Submit them on Instagram. Submit them on our website or email. Hit us up anywhere to submit them. Follow us everywhere on Sub's podcast. Give us a five-star review on Spotify. I check like every day. I check like every day to see if we've gotten more star reviews. It's anonymous. All you have to do is give us five stars. That would be super cool. Or like leave us an actual review on Apple Podcasts. We have merch. We have PILF t-shirts. We have Deputy Doug Apologist merch. Um, We have Hoyette shirts. Oh my God, I want a Hoyette shirt so bad. George Foyette is in love with Aaron Hotchner, and I have a Hoyette shirt myself, and I've worn it twice already, and I love it. It's like $22. We get a couple dollars from it. You have a way to support the show. Super cool. Follow us everywhere on such podcasts. Check out the recaps. Follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com. You can follow me at little underscore gnome underscore facts on Instagram. All right, girl, get ready for your big recap. (laughs) Episode 10. Oh, gosh. I'm, like, stressed. (laughs) It's going to be fine. We're we're recording in a couple days, so get ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, peace. Bye.